Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Iman Rahman. Iman is a queer, disabled Muslim who lives with Arford. As a result of the lack of conversations around culture and religion within the ED community, Iman joins us today to share their experience and to help others feel less isolated in their journey. We will also discuss sexuality and disability and how together this has created difficulties for Iman, especially when navigating Ramadan with Arford. Hello, Iman. Hello, Hannah. Is, how that you your, is that how you pronounce it correctly? I didn't yeah, realize yeah. <laughs> I forgot to ask you. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, uh, I, I tend to go by Han. Um, but Han, I put... okay. I will say uh, Han. I could say that because I know people will go by Hannah, Hannah. So I was like, wait, I forgot to ask. <laughs> <laughs> but totally yes, uh, thank you so much for having me. And um, it means a lot that you wanted to talk about the specific area because I feel like when I first um was going through and realizing this was what was going on with me um I didn't have any sources or resources really and it I hope that it can help other people and it feels like um a really big step that I can talk about it now since at first it was so scary just to like deal with it on my own so I really appreciate you being a part of my journey no, and I'm really glad to be a part of that journey. It's a, it's a real privilege. Um, I remember finding you on Instagram, and I was like, "Yep, I want them on my podcast. Like, please say yes." And I think I messaged you like, "You're so cool, and you talk about really things, and I want to talk to you." So please, please, please. Um, so I'm finally, so I'm glad that we. Yeah, I actually found you talking about I think Arfid on the podcast one time, and that's how I found yeah. it. And then. Uh-huh when you reached out to me I had the same reaction I was like oh my gosh like I'd love to talk to her I was just so excited so yeah I'm glad it worked out and um I just want to say it's like the first Sunday in Ramadan so Ramadan Mubarak to everyone that's celebrating um I'm here to talk about anything (laughs) amazing cool well let's start with Ramadan so um we'll go on to kind of speaking about the difficulties maybe that you've experienced in a bit but firstly do you want to set the scene just for people if they don't if they don't know much about Ramadan um or kind of what it means to you as well sure okay so Ramadan is a like a celebration that I've celebrated since I was little um it's been a part of my family and it's been it's always such a wonderful time to be with people and it just feels really warm and comforting to you know have that connection and people get so excited for this time of year it's a lot of muslims favorite time of year um it's the ninth month of the islamic calendar so then the name is actually the ninth month and um the biggest thing is focusing on prayer reflection community and then the fasting which is called som which is one of the the five pillars of islam so it's one of the five things that people kind of focus on in islam um so it lasts about 29 to 30 days um and when you first see the sighting of the crescent moon 
that's when it starts and then when you see the next one that's when it ends so it's like about a month long it come it, it changes every year what time it is so if you see and if you notice that people are celebrating it but it feels like it's a little bit different that's probably because one um the hours that people fast changes based on the you know the day where they are located in the world and everything so people are fasting at different times all around the world during the same month and then also the fact that um you fast from dawn to sunset and so you know that changes over the year and also the month itself um it moves back like a little bit every year so you will notice that you're celebrating a little bit earlier in the year or sometimes like basically you can celebrate it in all of the seasons because eventually Mm -hmm. you're going to get through the whole calendar year so people usually um get kind of confused about this because they're like oh fasting you don't even drink water and it's like really hard because i mean to everyone else that would sound really shocking and i think the misinterpretation that people get is that we don't we fast for a whole month without water when in reality we don't not have anything for a whole month it's like every sunset between sunset to like sunrise that's the time you can eat and then during the daytime you don't but you know so you make sure that you want to clarify that with people sometimes just because they'll be like really worried about you mm-hmm. and i realized that even um within the fasting people are always kind of concerned about you know what about people that are sick what about people that are you know fighting illness that are um pregnant and of course lots of those things go into the category of people that um don't have to fast sometimes that includes people that are traveling elderly breastfeeding when you're on your period you cannot fast um so you know there's like a lot of things around that and so one of the biggest questions I kind of had when I got chronically ill was should I be fasting and I want to be a part of this community and be a part of the celebration and at the same time I don't think it's right because I'm taking medication and also fasting has always been really easy for me and I was looked at as being really um having really strong willpower when in reality I just didn't know that I was, I had an eating disorder and I didn't know that it was like, it's supposed to be hard for everyone. So basically when it was easy for me, people all took that as like some amazing sign. In reality, it was like, this is a warning sign. So I think that was important for me to notice because now I can see and explain to people if they ever have someone in their life that's kind of going through that. Um, And this can be in any, any religion, any culture type of ritual with fasting I think it's really um hard to navigate because people talk about it being like it should be difficult it should make you feel grateful but it's like when you get stuck there sometimes if you have like OCD and different things you can like beat yourself down and then at that point it's like well this isn't actually the practice that we should be doing and at that point we should probably step back and that's a difficult decision to make because nobody really tells that to you And also, at the same time, when you are trying to make that decision for yourself, it can feel like I'm not going to be a part of the celebration if I choose not to. So I'm just going to do it anyways. And so I feel like that was one of the biggest things that came up for me once I became more chronically ill.
Mm. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you more about that as to, I suppose, with the eating disorder, but then also with your chronic illness, like, how did, I guess, firstly, how did it make you feel to not be able to engage in something that had been part of your family, part of your culture, all of your life, and then all of a sudden, you know, you can't? And and what were other people's reactions to that as well? Did you have to, like, explain why, or was it quite accepting? Yeah, it was quite shocking to people because... I think some people were not really surprised that I had an eating disorder, but no one knew what I had because it wasn't anorexia or bulimia. Um, And I didn't have a reason to be considered to have an eating disorder because I didn't fit those, but it still, I had behaviors. I had, you know, struggle with food. And when I got sick, basically I developed a really big fear around eating food that will make me feel more sick because I was just always nauseous. And my GI doctor is actually who diagnosed me and kind of caught it because she was like, oh, you're having trouble with like swallowing food. You're having trouble with like certain like you're having trouble with, you know, issues around eating like you're scared of the food itself, which I know a lot of people say an eating disorder is not the fear of the food itself. But with ARFID, it can be because mm-hmm. ARFID stands for Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. And so I find that it can literally be that you're scared of the food and how it makes you feel or could feel. And sometimes people don't understand that as well because they're like, why would you be afraid of it? But for me, I think a lot of people understood because I was nauseous all the time. They're like, of course it's going to be hard to eat, but I still had to eat. And I basically started missing out on a lot of my cultural traditional foods that those were really hard for me to have like a lot of the time. And so I felt like I missed it. Um, I think a lot of people in eating disorder recovery, like, feel like they reconnect with their culture later on sometimes. And it's hard because in the meantime, you just feel like you don't fit. People in these cultures, like, want to feed you so much and might not understand, like, you know, not to say certain things <laughs> like, oh, you're doing so much better. And sometimes people feel guilty about that or, you know, oh, you you look healthy you're like you must be fine now like you know it's really hard and I think for me it was a it was there was layers to it because for me I was chronically ill before I got diagnosed with an eating disorder but I'm pretty sure I had the eating disorder before um so people were not shocked about me not being able to eat but I think I realized for myself why I had always been uncomfortable with that kind of conversation um, like around, you know, people talking about diets or people telling me that, you know, fasting is bad for you or telling me that, you know, I don't think that this is a good thing that your religion has, which is a really complicated thing because I also didn't know how to feel about it. And I think with chronic illness, I I just kind of knew I wasn't going to be fasting because I was on medication. Like that was obvious. But once I was starting to realize, like, it's more than just that, it's also like, if I'm afraid of food and I and I seem to not be able to eat enough all at once in the morning and have enough in the evening and like I can't split up my meals like that, then I shouldn't be doing this because that's mm. dangerous for my health. And I had to really make that decision for myself. So I felt like once I started to reconnect with that um, and I enjoyed my cultural food when I could and whenever I wanted it and different things like that versus like having to have it at certain points, like, because that's what was supposed to happen. That didn't work for my body. And I knew that like, 
if I'm practicing this month, I can do lots of other things and that that wouldn't actually be beneficial or healthy. So that isn't something that would be, I don't think I missed it as much because I felt like it was something that I would be wrong for me to do at this point. And I'm also at peace with knowing that it might not be something I can do because Mm -hmm. I understand why now. As a kid, I think I thought it was like something I had to do and I was just good at it. People made me feel like I should do it because, you know, you're just, you have really good willpower. And that, I think that made it really difficult for me to tell the difference between, Mm -hmm. um, you know, an eating disorder versus being, I don't know, very, having strong like mental, like, strength to like get through something that's so Mm -hmm. difficult and it's like when religion and cultures like really like stick like they specifically say a lot of those things being strong and being like really like religious and just like it's like looked as higher it was complicated because for me I felt like once I got chronically ill that's all that people said to me because I was sick they were like oh you know like you're you get to like do these other things and I was just like I don't think that I like how this sounds anymore now that I'm sick I can see that it doesn't sound very nice when you're not well and I've seen that happen to a lot of people where once they get diagnosed with an eating disorder chronic illness or like become disabled they notice that communities can be quite ableist in the way that they look at people being better than each other just for being able to do things that not everyone can and it I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned through chronic illness and disability and eating disorder like those three have been very connected for me and I think that um, realizing an eating disorder can be disabling because of not being able to eat and how you feel after you know you get hungry or if you don't have hunger cues like it's really hard to navigate having chronic illnesses that made it like I was nervous to eat or basically when I had like really bad periods I would vomit and so I would like really struggle to get myself to not be afraid of vomiting so I developed emetophobia and then I also had the fear of like swallowing because it just didn't feel comfortable to me and when I was little I just had myself like had myself eat more food than I really wanted to because people were like you need to eat more you need to eat more but I think in reality I was eating what I needed to for me and once I forced myself I got scared of food because it didn't feel comfortable Mm -hmm. so I think now I'm at a place where I can tell those things and I can trust myself and people know that I know but the difficulty was I didn't have the language for it when I was little for any of these things and so I didn't have a reason so I just did what people told me even though I was like this doesn't feel right but I don't have a reason to say it doesn't so I guess I should do it anyway Mm -hmm. and I think that that's why it's so important that this gets talked about because people don't know like parents don't know adults don't know lots of people don't know because the representation of eating disorders first of all is just so limited and so inaccurate a lot of the time Mm-hmm. Um, just before just before we go on to that I just um I really want to yeah. just go back to something that you said because I don't want to miss anything um, of course just in terms of um sort of the the difficulty that you must have faced or what I'm hearing from what you're saying is sort of you know having the eating disorder and 
um, you know, people saying, oh, it's great that you've got the willpower to do it. And it, it was actually because, you know, you with, with having Arfid, you had that fear of eating. So sick. to yeah. not eat is is like, you know, actually that that's what you want because you don't have that fear. Um, and I think it's really interesting as sort of a and I, I hope this is okay for me to say, but as like a Western yeah. perspective of Ramadan, mm-hmm. I think often people are like, oh yeah, like it would be great to do that because, and their idea behind it is because then I will lose weight. And, you know, actually people from a People gain weight actually. Really? Yes, they wow. gain weight. People gain weight and um, it's the practice Which that... makes sense because you're not eating for such a long period of time. You know, that that's, I, I don't want to say that it's binge like... eating, but it's but it's like... a very similar thing it's it's like it's just gonna process differently in your body because it's not Mm -hmm. usually how you eat like some people do this to cleanse themselves like I know some people who fast like once a week like this that are Muslim um and they just feel like their body has kind of cleansed after that but not in the way that it's like you know how people use cleanse as like sometimes an eating disorder thing too Mm -hmm. so it's like it's difficult to tell the difference but I think for me one of the biggest things was that like when I got sick I could only eat like quote-unquote healthy foods and everyone was so proud of me and I just wanted to eat anything but my body couldn't tolerate too much sugar it couldn't tolerate like it just made me sick and so everyone was like I wish I could eat like you I wish I had your problem I eat too much I wish I didn't want to eat as much and it just felt so wrong and I was like, you know, you really don't want this. Trust me, it comes with a lot of things. I know what you're saying, but that's not what this is. And also, Mm. what you're saying isn't really possible because our bodies aren't meant to be like that. Mm. And I wish that I was able to eat more because, you know, my body is suffering because of this. Like, I essentially was not looked at as a problem because, you know, people think that you have to be a certain weight or whatever. And my issue was that I wasn't gaining. Were you able in that moment when people said to you, you know, maybe during Ramadan, like, oh, I wish that I could fast like you, were you able to say to them, actually, like, this is a struggle that I have? Or did you just kind of like, you know, just kind of laugh? I didn't know at the time. But I kind of told people when I got sick, I told people like, no, like, I'm not eating salads, because I want to be healthy. Like, it's just the food that I can get myself to eat. And I'm going to eat whatever I can get myself to eat, because I really Mm -hmm. should be eating much more than this. And so I'm not going to stop myself from having the little that I want. And if I wanted Mm -hmm. ice cream, I would also have that. And they were like, Oh, that's good. But I could tell they were still kind of stuck on the healthy food Mm -hmm. thing. And like, it was it was very, very, um, common for people to tell me that like all different ages all different people that are in my life and I was just like this is so interesting so I think once I realized that I was going through an eating disorder which I got diagnosed um in 2021 I want to say May um I actually was struggling like a bunch of months before that and then I my GI doctor had me do a swallowing study to make sure it wasn't something that wasn't working in my body and then once she realized that she said I think you have this thing called ARFID and I didn't know what it was how did, for, for people listening how did she explain it to you when when you got the yeah. diagnosis 
It was really interesting because uh, she kind of knew a lot about it. My GI doctor is one that's helped me with a lot of areas of my life. She just kind of knows a lot around GI issues because there's a lot of things that GI issues are like mm. a part of and how like a lot of things are connected through the GI system. So basically, she told me that, hey, I know you've been struggling to eat for a really long time and you've been sick and that's understandable. And I've seen like over time that you have been eating less or you have been not trying to, you just haven't noticed that it's been happening and you didn't get hungry. You didn't realize that like things were like that you were eating less or that your stomach couldn't even take much more food. I had to like get to the point where I started, she, she had me look it up and she had me talk to a recovery center. And I did actually go to a program for a while online and I made sure they understood chronic illness because I couldn't do it all the time. Um, but I wanted them to know I wasn't like bitching. So that was a really helpful thing for me um, because this is the dietitian at the eating disorder program and the psychologist helped me realize two different things. The dietitian helped me realize where my triggers were and what we could work on and in a way that felt both scary to me as it should be because it's not really comfortable but at the same time doable and like kind of have a plan like a short type plan so like if I was if I was struggling with a certain type of food maybe just touch it today not even eat it just touch it maybe get the smell maybe get kind of familiar with food again because what happened to me over time was I could not take being around food I couldn't take the smell of food like I just became so anxious even when it became mealtime and so I had to kind of get back into that and the tricky part was because I was chronically ill I wasn't able to have so much energy to make my food so I would sit there while my mom would make it and talk and kind of watch and I kind of grew, kind of came back into that and the other part of it is the psychologist helped me kind of with realizing that I had medical trauma because a lot of my stuff with food is because of how doctors told me to restrict certain foods for certain illnesses to help and so there was one time they told me to restrict something and it was the only thing I could eat. And I was like, I can't do that. I can't. That's the, I like, what am I going to do? And I started, you know, crying and I was just like, that's the one thing I can eat. But they're saying that causes me pain. What do I do? And my mom was like, you know, I think if we go with what your body needs and that's the one thing you can eat, let's not take that out. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the best decision because that would have been really bad for me. And I kind of, I could have slipped even deeper. So I feel like these things are more connected than I re- I realized because I know people that were chronically ill who developed eating disorders or vice versa. They have eating disorders and because their eating disorder hurt their body, they just developed chronic illnesses. And it's very common and it's like very interesting because I think that I had an eating disorder before I was chronically ill. Okay. But I also think that it's kind of hard to tell because they're so mixed throughout my whole life I feel like I had a little bit of both but my chronic illness flared and that hid my eating disorder for a while and then ironically when my chronic illness like kind of went down the eating disorder flared which kind of let me know that something else is going on so it was very connected and they kind of led me to each other and I'm really grateful that I had a team that kind of found ways to like figuring out I had medical trauma, figuring out I had these other things that helped me kind of come together with all of those things 
chronic illness, disability, and eating disorder recovery, like having doctors that understood all three of those things was really important because it's not very common for them to know. And I really wanted to make sure they understood because if they didn't, it was going to be hard because one of the biggest things they talk about in eating disorder recovery is that you're going to get your body back. It's going to be okay. And I was like, what happens if you're not? What happens if your body's already sick? What happens if it's not you that made your body sick? What happens if it's not, like, not that people with eating disorders make their body sick, but, like, I was like, not everyone can come back from it in the same way. And it feels like there's some missing, you know, there's some inclusivity that could be added here because you're telling me I can run again, but I don't think that that would be what would be good for me. Um, and so once I discussed that, they kind of changed a little bit how they talked about it. But it's hard because you don't know to look for that and no one's going to tell you. And then sometimes people get into situations that are not supportive of what they need. Like I have a friend who was really just dismissed from an eating disorder center because she had a disability and they didn't have they didn't have a way except stairs to go in so they just told her they can't have her there and that's horrible like you should really make sure that that's something you think about because if that's the case you're dismissing a whole bunch of people that need help I think it's a really interesting point that you make about sort of going back to your body and 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 things like that Mm -hmm. because often in the eating disorder space you know it's often talking about like you know think about what your body can do rather than what your body looks like and and you know if you are if you do have a disability or chronic illness often like that could be something even more difficult for you to process because there are things that your body can't do um yeah and I hope you don't mind me asking but um what's the diagnosis for your for your chronic illness and like how does that play into eating disorder so I have several chronic illnesses I'm diagnosed with chronic migraine which is one of the first ones I got diagnosed with um it all started with chronic pain but I think only just now I'm starting to figure out what that was so I'm currently being talked to about EDS Ehlers-Danlos syndrome um which is uh like I have a lot of hypermobility and my joints have been dislocating a lot, which has been causing problems like with my GI system, actually, Um, which is, yeah, my GI doctor actually figured this out, too. So I'm having rib dislocations because whenever I cough and different things, it moves. And what happens is nerve pain gets um, develops there. And so it causes acidity and makes you have rumination and and like my chronic illness and my and my gi issues together were like causing that issue and then it was making Mm -hmm. it hard for me to eat it was making me Mm -hmm. hard hard for me to like keep my body together too and then i learned another part of it is that when you're not doing well mentally your joints get looser which was also just really fascinating to me my pt told me that my physical therapist she said, you know, when you're not doing well mentally, your body, you know how people say, like, I'm falling apart? Like, there is some truth to how your body actually suffers when you're doing well, poorly mentally and, like, emotionally. And I can feel it sometimes. And it's really powerful. And, like, it just makes me think about how much the body does. And, like, when you get to the point where you can feel what those things are happening, like, you can mm-hmm. feel the digestive process, you can feel different things because it's hard for your body. 
it's like, wow, there's a lot your body does that you don't think about. And then when you feel like it trying to function, it's really interesting. And so I found that with that chronic illness, um, chronic migraine, I got diagnosed with abdominal migraine too, which is not exactly stomach pain. It's a lot of nausea. Um, migraine just has a lot of nausea. So I got talked to about that by my GI doctor as well. So that also made it really difficult for me to eat because I've just been having chronic nausea for years. So I just have a hard time and I've had to kind of learn how to navigate that, you know, find safe foods for certain times, certain flare ups, like I had to figure out and it changes all the time. So it's really complicated. And Another diagnosis I have is POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. Um, so this condition makes my blood pressure drop a lot. Um, and if I don't eat, it drops more. So I realized very quickly that this was not going to go well for me to have an eating disorder and POTS together. It kind of made me realize that I don't want to feel worse, so I'm going to eat something. And even if that's the only thing that's going to motivate me to do it, it's going to get me there. And then I'm going to work on that. And to this day, that seems to be something I kind of notice is my blood pressure is kind of low. And I know that I can't, I, if I feel like I can't eat, but I kind of want to make sure it goes up again. Like, okay, I'm going to at least get something in my body because I cannot afford to feel worse. Mm. And ironically, like when you, when I had ARFID and my whole fear was feeling worse because of food. What really happened is I realized that if I don't eat, my body is going to feel worse. So I had to like switch that in my mind. Um, so there's several other conditions, but those are some of the few that like, that like really affect my um, eating disorder and disability, like together, they've all kind of taught me about each other. Something I'm quite interested in is, I don't really know a lot about ARFID. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, I've done some podcasts on it and, and stuff like that. But in terms of, so let's say it was anorexia, like the, the goal in recovery is to, I guess, you know, one day be free of the anorexia. Right. With, with ARFID, you know, is it something that when, and maybe this is your personal perspective, thinking about recovery, you said like you you find safe foods and stuff like that in order to be able to eat like is the long-term goal to be completely flexible with food and, and you know eat whatever or are That's you is my it question. Sort of this was my question too actually yeah. because things like um you know autism or adhd yeah they're not something that you recover from they're something that you learn you know mechanisms and your traits and stuff like that and you adapt your life around them so that you can thrive and yeah. I'm just wondering where ARFID sits on that scale. ARFID is actually very commonly known to be connected to those autism, mm -hmm. ADHD, also OCD and I've been talked to about all of those as well um, and kind of again the eating disorder kind of helped me realize that because I had sensory issues with everything like tasting food, hearing food, touching food, smelling it, like all of my senses were just like off. And I've always been like that. I've always been sensitive to like sound, light, everything. And migraine makes that even more. Yeah. So I, I find that a lot of people talk about ARFID and there's a lot of like inaccuracy in it. 
Um, I think one of the biggest things is people think that it's like anorexia, except it's not having to do with weight, because that's like a very vague description of it. Um, like, yes, maybe we're not, we're not worried about it, but it's like, it doesn't discuss what we actually struggle with. And Mm -hmm. I think that also you can have issues with weight. Like, what if you are disabled and you are not doing well and you do less and you're in bed all the time and then you happen to gain weight and then that has to do with your eating disorder but not necessarily connected for the reason why you have the eating disorder so like we can still struggle with it it just might be a part of it in a different way Mm -hmm. and I think that's one of the biggest things I read as like when people try to talk about it but that's because that's how um, it's talked about in the DSM and I think that there's a lot lacking in it. Um, and from talking to different people who have ARFID, who are chronically ill and disabled that have eating disorders, I find that a lot of us have kind of learned that when you have, like, when you're neurodivergent and you have, like, ADHD, autism, like, anything like that, then you do kind of realize that you have to, like, you have to you have to let people know at recovery centers that not everything is a behavior and some things are just what we go through. And that was, that's really difficult because a lot of people are told not to do the things that work for them and that that's a behavior when it really isn't. And sometimes it's just how they can get themselves to work. And it's difficult to tell the difference. And I think there needs to be a lot more research and a lot more representation of that. Um, But I think that's one of the biggest things is that people are being told that the things that help their body is an eating disorder behavior. And so then they feel like they have nothing to hold on to. Mm. And I think that that is why a lot of people, even the recovery center told me like, I don't know if you can fully recover from ARFID because ARFID, it depends on how you get it. And it depends on what you have and for me like it's very connected with my chronic illnesses and stuff like if my chronic illnesses happen to go down the ARFID probably would too but also I've had like so-called eating disorder behaviors that were probably more linked to my neurodivergence since I was little Mm. I liked like having things like certain colors of things and different things like that and it wasn't like I was tearing food apart to get it to be smaller I just felt like it was more comfortable for my mouth like and it's like if you like because I actually have like a really I have like jaw pain so what happened is I got braces and they put an expander in and so my jaw got wider but they didn't know I had issues with my joints so now I my jaw locks a lot so I can't take big bites and I can open like very little So I actually make smaller bites because my mouth can't open that wide and because it's more comfortable for me. And some people will be like, you know, that's an eating disorder behavior. I'll be like, well, that's how I can eat. So I don't know which one I should do. And I think that's one of the biggest things that people struggle with in terms of ARFID and people that struggle with ARFID. And the other thing is that the representation is mostly about kids. Kids are not the only ones that have ARFID. I find that people find it sometimes because they get diagnosed with autism or ADHD and like their kids have it really young. I probably did as well, but it wasn't noticeable in me because um, I think I masked a lot of it and didn't really talk about it because if I did, people wouldn't understand why I didn't like certain things. 
And I always was someone that was trying different foods. So people didn't expect me to have an eating disorder because I was always trying everything. But I had some weird things with certain foods where I was like, oh, this makes me anxious or like, I don't know. Every time I eat this, I get worried. And it's like, no one could put that together. And so I just kept making myself eat it. And so no one could tell. But I think that there's a lot more representation of ARFID than people think. Because I, I, over time, have kind of noticed it more now that I know what it is. And mm-hmm. even if it's not an eating disorder, I see it as disordered eating and multiple people. And a lot of them are not well. A lot of them are people that have, you know, neurodivergence and are sensitive to different sensory things. And it's like, it's very difficult because I think that there's not very many resources right now and Mm -hmm. people are trying to figure it out on their own. But I think that people want to think that we can recover fully. And I don't know, maybe we can, I don't know, but I don't think we can if we don't have the resources and Mm -hmm. the help that we need, which is lacking right now. I think the piece around autism and ADHD is really interesting and I, I've said this before and it may people may agree, people may not, but sometimes mm-hmm. I do think that um there potentially is a link and I think a lot of the kind of traits that are in ARFID, you know, are definitely observed also in, in people with autism. But my thing is we know about autism more so people probably go and get a diagnosis for autism more and then the ARFID is picked up but people don't know about ARFID as much maybe wouldn't go to the doctor just for that um which is why I'm always very cautious around saying you know it's not just people with um autism that that do have ARFID that's also true Mm -hmm. yeah like I did happen to find out more about my neurodivergence through getting diagnosed Mm -hmm. with ARFID as well Cause I just mm-hmm. realized I have a lot of signs and I know people that are. And then I kind of was like, I'm very like, I relate to this person and they kind of get me and I don't know what that is. And so I talked to my doctors about it. And the truth is that when you're chronically ill and have this many diagnoses, it's really hard to know. So mm-hmm. we just treat me like I have different things and not necessarily like I kind of use some of the skills that people use that have ADHD and things, but I don't have a diagnosis because right. The thing about having so many chronic illnesses and being disabled, it's just like you're not going to know because they don't know how to diagnose those people with eating Mm. disorders sometimes and vice versa. And sometimes the tests are not accessible um, money-wise for sure, but also like for people in wheelchairs, for people Mm. who, you know, have learning disabilities, like lots of different things. And so a lot of people don't know that they have these things and some people do and they just don't get the help and then of course there's a whole group of people that you know are in poverty who have eating disorders that can't even Mm. get any of these things so like I feel like people when they say that like not many people have ARFID I'm thinking like there's a lot of ways that we might not know that people do and Mm. it might just be and one of the biggest stereotypes is picky eating and Mm. I know so many people that like well you know be upset that someone needs to go to a certain place because they're a picky eater and I remember I when I became quote-unquote a picky eater when I got sick I felt so guilty all the time because I had to look at a menu ahead of time I had to kind of figure out what was going on what, what I could maybe tolerate and I just felt like you know this is too much for someone to deal with I should just go somewhere like I should just find something anywhere but it's not as easy as it seems 
And I don't think it should be looked at as a bad thing for people to be picky eaters because you don't know why that is. And maybe that's just the name that people gave it to them for, but they could have something else going on. And also, I don't think it's a negative thing to be someone who chooses what they want to have and what feels good to them. That in itself, picky is just like a negative connotation for that. Mm. And I think that I like my, like my, I know lots of people that, have kind of the same tendencies as me but are just speak up about it more so they were looked at as picky Mm -hmm. versus for me maybe I just tried it so people thought I was still good and so I think it's difficult to tell the difference between those things because I can see that I don't really think of it as a bad thing now that I'm older and Mm -hmm. I see this and I've kind of been told that in so many ways or just by knowing that I'm not the person that's going to be called a picky eater even though I am in a way and that goes around think, allergies and things too. I think um, the reason people often like look down on picky eating is because it's seen as quite like a childish thing. Um, yes. And, and Arthur is seen as, you know, it only happens in children. But, um, you know, actually it's, it's not picky eating in the slightest. It's that fear of, you know, the consequences of when you're going to eat something. And I think when people don't understand it, you know, when we had uh, I had somebody on the podcast that spoke about their experience of Arford and they didn't want like the mashed potato touching their sausages and people just can't understand it but it is you know it is a mental health condition and it is extremely valid um but I think just because there's not the understanding around it that makes it difficult and something that I wanted to ask you because you mentioned at the start was um you know if you're breastfeeding or like if you're on your period then you don't um engage in the fasting associated with with Ramadan and I just wondered um like where where do those sort of like I don't want to say rules but like those Mm -hmm. kind of guidelines come from and are there is there more acceptance towards let's say a physical condition compared to a mental health condition like an eating disorder or is it very sort of yeah like you know if it's going to negatively impact you don't do it I think it's more the first part because culturally a lot of people are not aware of eating disorders. It's very so more accepting for and physical. So it's more accepted for physical. But then, like I told you, physical is mixed with everything else too, but mm. it's just not talked about in that way. So I think people now are trying to discuss it this, like, and say that it's more about if it has a negative impact on you in any way. But I think when I was growing up, I didn't know that. And um, if you were just so-called depressed or something, people would be like, you should still do it. Um, You know, and it's not that simple. I mean, some people do change their like things around to try and get it to work. Like I know people who say that there are tips that you can you can try like, you know, if someone takes medication, like you can change the times around to go with your fast. And if you do that properly, and if you stick to that, and it works for you, and it doesn't make you feel worse, that's okay. But Mm -hmm. I would say one of the biggest things people forget is you're not supposed to do this if it feels bad to you. For example, if you feel like you're going to pass out, you're supposed to break your fast. Okay. Like, and you aren't supposed to stop everything like just just do nothing during this time, but you are supposed to lower your workload and different things. And in Muslim countries, they like change the hours and stuff. So it's really, it's, it's, it's hard because I think 
when we live in a place like I'm in the States, when you live in a place where people don't know what it is still and are just starting to kind of learn and still have a lot of misconceptions about it, I think that it can be hard to practice it the right way. You have Mm. to be like, I'm going to go to the mosque and so I won't be here during this time, but I will be back. Something as simple as, you know, if you're in a community where your whole culture is fasting, there's not going to be food around and things like that. And you like, you don't have that judgment. But if you're in a community, you know, of all different cultures, people are still going to be eating at the times that you're fasting and people won't necessarily understand and may have that judgment against why are you doing that? And I can imagine when it's, if it's something that you're finding difficult, they feel guilty guilty for eating around us. And we're like, no, I promise it's okay. Like Mm. we kind of know, because like I said, if we have elderly living with us, if we have someone sick living with us, there are going to people be people that aren't fasting. If someone's on their period, like, you know, so we are used to people not fasting around us, children, you know, different things. And it's like, we still have to make the food for later on. We still have to buy the food for later on. So it's like, we are not completely separated from food the way people think, because we still have to prepare it. We still have to even make plans to go somewhere to eat. And a lot of people meet with families when they're during this time and break fast together and go really early in the morning and just eat together I know like there's some places like I think there's like I don't know if it's Denny's or IHOP that during Ramadan they have like a little time where they have people Mm -hmm. a lot of Muslims go to have their little um, meal before sunrise. Um, Mm -hmm. That's kind of started to be something some places have because they know that it's kind of like something that is going to be a big part of a community and they Mm -hmm. can get some people there. And um, I know a lot of kids and young adults kind of have like a lot of fun with their friends during this time and like they really connect with them and spend time with them during this this time of year and it I think it's really nice because um like to have that connection like for example I moved away from a lot of my family when I moved to the west coast I used to live in a place with all my almost most of my mom's side and my dad's side And I know that's not always common. A lot of people have family that are in different countries and things, but I grew up with them right with me and celebrating with them. And I miss that. But at the same time, it was like, once I realized that I wasn't going to be able to fast and like, it was difficult for my parents too, because sometimes my mom has to take care of me and she doesn't fast. And I don't think it's a bad thing, but people don't even understand that. They're like, well, you're not the one that's sick. And it's like, well, she has to take care of of someone that's unwell she has to make sure you know maybe that's just not where her body can what her body can handle now Mm -hmm. and you're not the one to judge that really nobody is supposed to judge anyone for why they can't fast Mm -hmm. it's between them and it's like you know a lot of things like that I think it's it's easy to forget that you at the end of the day you're not supposed to judge anyone and just focus on yourself because a lot of people like just want to you know, think like, oh, they're doing something wrong. Oh, like I want to, you know, I want to make them a better person. And it's like, well, you know, if you're so busy working on yourself, you wouldn't Mm -hmm. think about trying to fix someone that you don't even know what's going on with them. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I think like some of those things, it, it's just like misunderstood. There's a lot of things that like people say, like I told you about the, um, not even water one, which is like a lot of people, will kind of share nowadays like oh here are some tips to to support people around you 
um, that may be fasting. One of the things is, you know, you can eat around them. I promise they're going to be fine with it. They understand. You don't have to feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not making, you're not like, I don't know, taunting them or anything like that. Um, as long as you're not like pushing food in their face, you're good. <laughs> and, you know, if you know that they um, have to break fast at a certain time, you're welcome to ask them if you, they want some company or take them somewhere for that time. Um, if you want to have like a meeting and you want to have like a meeting with food, you could do it at that time. You know, um, so there's lots of different things that people talk about, which I think is making it easier for each other to understand like I've seen recently that stores are even selling like Ramadan decorations now which is really Mm -hmm. big because I've never seen that before in my local um shop there's like a a whole aisle um of things particularly for Ramadan which was um yeah really nice to see and something that I wanted to ask you was you mentioned earlier like there's other things that you can do if you're not able to engage in the fasting so sure. I just wondered if people aren't able to to fast what sort of things you do that helps you to stay engaged yeah I think the biggest one for me is just you know spending time it's supposed to be a time of like reflection contemplation just like time for you to be with family time for you to reconnect with um religion or spirituality whatever connects mm-hmm. you and I think one of the biggest things for me is really just to go back to, you know, making maybe people say, you know, that you can make a good habit in a month and it's a month long. So I sometimes just make one goal. And a lot Mm. of the time my goal can just be like really simple. Like, you know, um, during this time, people donate during this time, people um, like try to be, you know, focus on being really kind and non-judgy and just, you know, really like be grateful. And so I think a lot of people forget that those things are big practices and not easy in Mm. themselves. And I think that those things are really good. So you can also, of course, you can read from the Quran, which is the holy book. You can go to the mosque and just participate in being there if you feel safe too. You can, um, you know, connect with different people that you know that are Muslim and just I don't know, have someone around you that celebrates that time, even if you celebrate it differently. And I guess that kind of makes me think of what I'm t- I've am i been kind of working towards, which is last year, I saw a lot of like queer Muslim iftars that people were having online. And I was like, you know, even though I'm not fasting, I would love to be in that space because, you know, they would understand. And I know some people get like disowned and some people are not like with family and can't celebrate, but they still want to. They want to be part of their religion. They want to celebrate. And I, one, I feel like it would be nice to be there for them. And two, I would love to have that as well. My family is really open and they've been accepting of me and I'm grateful for that. But I just sometimes, you know, you want to be around people that understand and live that Mm. experience too. And so that's been one of my biggest goals is to just, um, you know, one, I think, share resources with people that cannot fast and or tips for people that are going to 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 focus on their mental health, with I, which I actually have saved in on my page, which I can share with you. I found a bunch of information from different people about like tips to fast with ADHD, tips to keep your mental health, mm-hmm. like focus on your mental health, um, keep take care of your body and mind during Ramadan, those type Mm -hmm. of things, you know, how to, 
how to fast, you know, with an eating disorder, should you or should you not, what, like, what goes around that? Um, and I saw, like, recently a podcast I was on just, just um, recorded with a therapist that is Muslim about Ramadan eating disorders, too. So I'm going to be checking that out soon as well. And then I found a lot of, like, resources for, you know, disabled Muslims, um, queer Muslims, Black and um, minority, um, marginalized Muslims. Like, it was really nice to see these spaces come up. And there's lots of pages that talk about and, like, share different people's stories, their perspectives. And I feel like sometimes the biggest thing that I can do is just have community and, like, interact with people that are you know, feeling lonely and also just sharing my story if I feel comfortable to just mm-hmm. for the people that aren't safe to share theirs and aren't yeah. like are are on this journey themselves. And I think that that's one of the biggest things because I always wished that there was representation like that for me and I'm mm-hmm. starting to see it now. And so I really want to continue to share that with others and even for other people that are not in this community mm-hmm. to understand and learn. And I also know lots of people that, you know, don't understand how, you know, you could be gay and Muslim, which is like completely understandable because religion makes that really complicated. And so, you know, even if I'm just talking about it with someone that's Muslim that is not gay and just Mm -hmm. like explaining to them how, you know, people feel. And sometimes they just, even if they don't really understand, they could be like, oh, yeah, that does feel like that must be a lot, you know? And so just to share what that experience can be like and I guess people see it through their through their eyes a little bit differently is a big one and I think that you can't force that you can't force someone to accept you and you can't force someone to understand but if I see someone wants to I'm and I feel like I'm able to at the time you know I feel comfortable I feel like I'm in a good place to say it though I think that then I do kind of like to share resources or yeah. I'm happy to share about what's helped me, which is mm. part of why I'm here today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and I really appreciate it. I think that this has been such a great podcast, you know, covering a range of different things for for everyone, um, you know, relating back to, to Ramadan and Arthur and, and the disability. Um, and yeah, please do share all of those resources with me because I'd love to put them in the show notes for people. And it sounds like a real good collection of things for people um you know if they are um, practicing ramadan and just um for the listeners when they do want to go and find out more about you what is your page and where can they find out more oh sure um my page is at a little bit of faith and you can find me on instagram um you can find me on twitter um you can find me on TikTok. You can find me um, on a different page as well, which I made for the BIPOC community. So it's disabled.bipoc. And I am also found on the same platforms. And that's where I share a lot of people's stories and give them the space to speak and pass the mic. And um, you can always reach out there if you want to share something or want to want to want something to be posted about and I will look into it and I I yeah you can always contact me either place and I will reply when I can (laughs) 
Thank you. Yeah, no, it's been it's been honestly a pleasure. Um, and I've learned so much about Ramadan, which I really appreciate. So thank you so much. Um, I want to finish. Is do, is there like a way or um in Arabic to say happy Ramadan? You can say Ramadan Mubarak or you can say Ramadan Kareem. Ramadan Kareem. And then say Ramadan Mubarak. Yeah, that like it's, Ramadan. that basically means celebration. So like Ramadan celebration okay. or like happy ramadan kind of um yeah and you can also of course you can also say happy ramadan like people will just be happy if you even just acknowledge it and yeah um so ramadan mubarak to everyone who celebrates yeah and i wish you a blessed month (laughs) yeah thank you so much iman it's been lovely thank you (laughs) if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so be sure to subscribe Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.